Good morning, everyone. We're going to finish up our series on unexpected with the visit of the Magi. Uh, <coughs> the Magi, most, it's fitting that this is a week or two after Christmas because almost certainly they were not there at the manger in the stable. All right, but don't go changing your nativity scenes. Don't worry about that. The contrast of having the common people, the shepherds, and the high and the mighty, the magi, visiting and worshiping Jesus is the contrast and the range that we want to see. So what do we know about the magi? Not a whole lot. They seem to be mysterious people, kind of like this guy Melchizedek that we read about. Uh, Lot is captured, carried off as a slave. Abraham musters his army, goes and rescues Lot with the king of Sodom and some other people. And as he's coming back from this victory, this high priest Melchizedek meets him from Salem. First time priest is ever mentioned in the scriptures, the first time Salem, which is probably Jerusalem, is ever mentioned. And until one little scripture in Psalms and then Hebrews gives us some more explanation, this guy's, we just don't, he just appears and then he's gone. The Magi seem to be the same way. They just show up from the east. Beyond that, we really don't know anything about them. But let's look at some of the things we do know. Let's jump to the next slide. One more. All right, the word magos, I probably didn't say that correctly, can be translated or assumed different things, magician, sorcerer, astrologist, uh, the King James did it, wise men, uh, NIV just simply transliterates the magi, uh, probably advisors to kings, okay? Um, whether, as my grandkids would say, whether they were good guys or bad guys depends upon where they are getting their source of information. God does not want his people seeking advice from palm readers, from uh, the, the dead trying to do a seance and bring back the dead, to uh, our tarot cards or, or this sort. He wants us to seek from his wisdom. <clears throat> and depending upon where these magi got their source from to advise their kings would more or less depend on whether or not they're evil or wicked. This word is used six times in the New Testament, four times here in Matthew, and twice in uh, Acts, and there it's translated as sorcerer. We have a little bit of information. The guy who's called a sorcerer is also termed a false prophet. So once again, we see they're just giving advice. And we talk, well, I don't use palm readers, and I don't use uh, tarot cards. I don't read my horoscope. Um, I think between here and West Columbia, there's some place on the side of the road. lady says, palm reading and spiritual advisor. And I wanted to stop in there just out of curiosity just to see you know, and I'm kind of judging her because she says spiritual advisor, and I'm kind of, but, you know, maybe she looked at your palm, and she got, oh, you've got a short lifeline here. Uh, we better get ready for you to meet the afterlife. Uh, have you ever heard of this guy named Jesus? Maybe that's her, her, her way. Of, I, I'm kind of judging her, okay? But it could be, she could be the good guy, the good woman, all right? I'm assuming it's a woman. I don't know why I think it's a woman. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but... Have you ever sought advice? Have you ever, uh, you're getting married, you're engaged, and you want some marriage counseling, so you seek marriage counseling. Or maybe you just want to tune up your marriage, make it better, so you seek a marriage counselor. Maybe you had kids, and you're like, whoa, this is tougher than I thought. I better get a little advice on raising my kids. Or, or, or maybe you're going through grief. You've had a tragic loss in your life, and you're looking for some grief counseling. Do you seek out people who incorporate spiritual principles into the advice that they give you? If you're looking for professional advice of some sort, you need to be looking for someone who will incorporate the wisdom of God in what they will tell you. Uh, the next thing we see about them is they came from the east. Now, I just put down Persia. 
I'm not even 100% sure where Persia would be today, but China, Japan, just as the east. We really don't know, okay? Uh, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit more. Uh, and the last thing we know, the next point there, uh, they came to worship, honor, and bring gifts to Jesus. And that's what we're talking about here. The, the rich and the famous. I don't know how famous they were in their day, but where they came from, they're probably very rich and famous, and they came to worship, to honor, and to bring gifts. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, the star. What do we know about the star? First point here, actually nothing, okay? <laughs> it's just a star. We're not told anything about it. The people this time, if there's any light in the sky, they're probably going to define it, call it a star, <clears throat> okay? What else are they going to call it? Okay, uh, let's jump there again, Lowell, and one more time. Most likely, it is not a normal astrological event like a comet we just had this what's good be preaching the sermon now because we just had this conjunction is that how you say that of saturn and jupiter and one guy was reading he said well saturn is the sign of kings and jupiter is the sign of the jews and and it was in the astrological sign of pisces or something like that and that's the that's palestine and so these guys would see that and they were thinking, oh wow there's going to be a king he's going to be from judea it's going to be in palestine no i don't think so okay it is not Let's look at number four. We see here in verse 9 and 10, it led the Magi to the house and stopped over there. It stopped, okay? This is a uh, miraculous event that God had um, special for his son. Jesus only came once to die for our sins. This star, whatever it was, I think appeared only once. You know, this uh, conjuncture of Saturn and Jupiter that we just all saw and were all amazed by, they said it was 800 years ago that it happened, and it may not happen for I don't know how long. You know, Peter tells us that a thousand years is with God like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So this thing happening every, every 800 years, in God years, that's like every day. God's like, well, that happened yesterday, it happened today, it's going to happen tomorrow. God wants a special sign for his special sign. That's, that's the way I see it. Okay, next slide, please. How did the Magi know Short answer, God told them. Now, I hope you don't think you're going to get away with the short answer, okay? Exactly how we can conjecture. Uh, next point there, we see that God, they, he could have told them in a dream. We see in verse 12, he warned them not to go back to Herod in a dream. He could have used a dream. He could have used a vision. He could have used any number of ways. Uh, one thing we could look at is he could have sent a prophet to them. Next slide. Could have been a prophet such as somebody like Daniel, Okay. Go to the next slide. Let's just look. Daniel, oh, now that I'm on Daniel. That's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Daniel is an amazing man. He is an amazing uh, book, okay? So we're going to look at about four or five different events from the book of Daniel real quick. We've all heard these stories since we were small. We tell them in vacation Bible school all the time. The first one is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, okay? We're not going to go into a lot of detail because you know it. If you don't recall it, go back to Daniel and read it. I encourage you to read it, Okay. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He calls all his wise men together, and he says, hey, tell me what this dream means. And they say, tell us a dream. No, this is the way I know you're telling me the truth. If you can tell me what the dream was and then tell me the interpretation. Of course, they can't, all right? Well, the, what good are advisors if they can't give you any good advice, all right? So he says, hey, off with their heads or whatever. Gives the order to execute them, which includes Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I almost called them the three amigos, but I decided not to. Uh, <laughs> and so Daniel tells the executioner, hey, hold off a day. Let us see if we can figure this one out. Of course, God reveals to him. Daniel comes in, tells the king what his dream was, tells him the interpretation of the dream. And here is Nebuchadnezzar's response to that. 
Okay, let's go back one. <laughs> no. Got the same one. That we got Meshach, Shadrach, M.S. and A. That looks like a railroad or something. That's the next one. Let me read it to you. Sorry about that. This is Nebuchadnezzar's. He says, the, this is in Daniel chapter 2, the, God, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. And before that it says, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering of incense be presented to him. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. He is ruler of probably one of the greatest nations on the earth at that time. He is powerful. Just 24 hours before, he had given an order to execute everybody that he didn't like, okay, and it was about to be carried out. He didn't just bow down. He didn't drop to one knee. He didn't drop to both knees. This idea of falling prostrate before Daniel is the idea of falling flat on your face, laying on your stomach to a slave. Daniel is a slave who the king, prior to this, probably had nothing but contempt for the man. Okay, might have had just a teeny, inky bit of respect for him, possibly, okay? But this is a man that is a slave. This is the king, and this is Nebuchadnezzar's response. He falls face down. Okay, now on this, oh, there it is. Daniel interprets the dream. Sorry about that. I didn't see the slide. <laughs> All right, the next story, chapter 3. Uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that's where I put the uh, M, S, and A, the railroad, because I didn't want to spell all that out in the fiery furnace. We all know the story. Once again, here is the response of Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar honors and praises God. Okay, uh, next story. I think the great tree, Nebuchadnezzar once again has this dream about this big tree, uh, and it comes true. Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He goes out and lives in the wild like a wild animal, and when he acknowledges that God is sovereign, that God is the most high, he is restored to his splendor, to his glory, he's given his power, and here's Nebuchadnezzar's response. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor... Uh, Sorry, I didn't read all. Were returned to me for the glory of the kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he has done is right, and his ways are just, and those that walk in his pride he is able to humble. Okay? Uh, the next chapter is about Belshazzar, the writing on the wall. Belshazzar and his nobles, they're praising the gods of gold, the gods of silver, and this hand comes and writes on the wall, and they call Daniel in there to uh, interpret what's being written. Uh, he tells them, King, you in a heap of trouble, okay? <laughs> and that's what comes true. Then we'll jump to chapter 5. One more time. This is the last one. I tell you, Daniel's a great book. It's hard to stop. Chapter 6, Daniel and the Lion's Den. We all know the story very well, okay? And once again, now this is King Darius. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Belshazzar's gone. Uh, King Darius is here. And uh, Daniel and the Lion's Den, and when he, God rescues Daniel, here's his response. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you greatly prosper. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. We see these heathen kings, what would we call them, because of God demonstrating his great power, recognizing that he is the one true and most high God in issuing these edicts throughout the land. 
Uh, and so we see how God, and if these men were not from uh, this area of the world, God could send his people and his prophets, and this could be repeated all over the world. We have this ideal because God came to Abraham and made a covenant with him, and that's what's recorded for us. And we tend to think that's all that God ever interacted with men. But it's kind of like John ends his gospel by saying, many other signs and wonders Jesus performed. The whole world couldn't contain them if they were written. I kind of paraphrase that. But he says, these are written that you may believe. All right, so we just have a very short microscopic inkling into what God has done throughout the time and throughout the history. So uh, next slide, please. Okay, going back to Daniel chapter 2, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream was of a big statue made of four different types of metal, gold, silver, bronze, and then iron and clay, which represented four great kingdoms. And then there was another part of that. There was a rock cut from a mountain, okay? And it says uh, this rock uh, was not cut with human hands, and it grew to fill the whole earth, and it was a kingdom that would last, fill the whole earth and last forever. And it says, in the time of those kings, and I believe the time of those kings is referring to the Roman Empire. When you follow these four great kingdoms, it's Babylonian, Mede, Persia, uh, Greece, and then Rome. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he's got these four great kingdoms, and Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're the golden head, okay? And uh, probably appealed to his uh, pride, hey, I'm the golden head. Yeah, right on, you know. But he tells him, there's going to be this kingdom that's going to destroy. It's going to surpass all these other kingdoms, fill the earth and never be destroyed. Now, we don't know what other prophecies Daniel may have given or, or whatever country this was carried out in. And it wasn't written down for us. Obviously, somehow God told these magi, look for this star. Here's how you're going to know it. Here's what it's going to mean, okay? Somehow God was able to. And when we just looked at all these things, the magnificent work that God has done, their response to it, the magi are waiting for this star, and when it happens to us, what do you think? Let's go honor this king, even if they understood it to just simply be a physical king, a physical kingdom that's going to fill the earth, will never end. We need to go make some brownie points with that guy. Let's take him some great gifts, okay? All right, next slide. So the unexpected, to go along with our unexpected, the first thing that I see unexpected here is I just called it unexpected unbelief. The magi came to Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews. I don't know what information they had, what they were expecting, but I'm going to assume that they're thinking the king. You know, they probably traveled for several weeks, possibly months. Every night they're sitting around the campfire and they're probably talking. Wow, what kind of kingdom do you think he's got? How big do you think his palace is? How many servants do you think he has? Wow, I wonder how much gold he's got. You know, they're just picturing this magnificent earthly kingdom type. I don't know if that's what they were thinking or not. But they come to Jerusalem, they're probably expecting, you know, a sign. Jerusalem, home of king of the Jews. You know, every city that has a famous person, you go to Alvin, it's got a sign, home of Nolan Ryan. You'll see that everywhere, you know. And they, but if nothing else, they go in there. They did not initially go to Herod. They just started asking around, where do we find he that's king of the Jews? And you know what they found? People blank stares. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I mean, these guys are probably getting concerned. They're in the wrong place. And what, in the, the verse here, let me uh, jump here. Well, 
uh, I think it's verse 10, which talks about that Herod was troubled. One verse 10 earlier than that. But Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why were they troubled? I would have expected the Jerusalem. Now, Herod doesn't surprise me. Of course he's troubled. But I would expect the Jews to say, Herod was troubled and all the Jews were rejoicing. All the Jews were abuzz with excitement. All the Jews were, you know, what, what other term would we use? But it says they were troubled. Why were they troubled? This star, it seems that the Magi saw the star, they interpreted what it meant, they headed on the journey, and it, it disappeared. And then it reappeared. We see in verse 10, it talks about reappearing. These guys are probably thinking, wow, we're in the wrong place. We misread something. We took a right when we should have taken a left. We need to retrace these steps. Because it talks about they left Herod after Herod tells them, hey, you know, when you find this guy, come back and tell me where he is. It says they saw the star and they greatly rejoiced. They find, well, hey, wait, we're in the right place after all. And it leads them to where Jesus is. Okay, next point, unexpected. Unexpected humility. Now, for us, this is not unexpected. But like I said, these men are traveling, bringing great gifts to what they think is a, is a great king, but maybe they're expecting something a little more earthly. They're, they're expecting to go to Jerusalem and say, hey, where do we find king of the Jews? Well, follow this street. That next right, that's Palace Lane. Follow Palace Lane to the end. When you get to where all the big houses are, Look for the biggest, nicest house, and that's where you'll find Jesus. That may have been what they were expecting, okay? But Jesus, we know he was born in a barn. Folks, I've been around livestock most of my life. Sheep and I'm sorry, cattle and pigs mostly, not so much sheep. Pigs probably weren't there, but cattle were. I was watching the old movie, John Wayne and the Cowboys, and he said, cattle are nothing but a leather bag of trouble. And the other thing I can tell you about them is they stink, and they leave their droppings everywhere. I was trying to think of what word to use. They leave their droppings everywhere, okay? And they eat about 30 to 40 pounds a day, so most of that is in droppings. So that's a barn for you, okay? And here we still got our nice little manger that Jesus laid in the feed trough, okay? So Jesus was born in a barn. His first crib was a feed trough. He dies on the cross. I seriously doubt at that time in between was it a whole lot better. So when that star finally stops over a place and these magi are going there and they, they get to looking around like, you know what, we're on the wrong side of the tracks. We're in the poor part of town. These old run-down shacks, I can't believe anybody lives in these places, you know. And they finally come to the place where Jesus is and it's probably like, how does anybody even live in this place? That's what I think. But they were expecting something much greater. This is probably what they came into. All right, uh, next thing. Unexpected worship. Here's the magi expecting to come and worship a great king. And they are worshiping a great king, okay, not in the earthly terms that we normally think of. But yet when they came to Jesus and they realized, you know, this poor child in these meager, humble circumstances is the king of the Jews. It's going to rule a kingdom, okay? And they brought their gifts to him. Let's talk about the gifts a little bit. They brought the gold, the frankincense, the mirth. The gold, uh, we're not told exactly what it represents, but we assume gold would be the representative of him as a king. He is a king. Frankincense. During the Old Testament, a lot of the Jewish sacrifices and offerings they made to God, incense was to be mixed with it. So this uh, represents his deity. Uh, the, uh, the mirth uh, is another, probably a painkiller. Jesus was offered mirth mixed with uh, vinegar or sour wine or something as a painkiller when he's on the cross, which he rejects. So we see there representing his death. So these are the three gifts. And I know in the pictures, it always kind of shows them showing up here with this little bitty box, okay, in this little bitty bottle. And that may have been what it was. But, you know, 
if you get to know me very well, you'll find out I'm kind of a big go big or go home kind of guy. Yeah, they may have come in there and saw, met Mary and Joseph and said, hey, you know, we, we got something for you. Come out to this first camel. This first camel here is loaded with a couple hundred pounds of gold. And this next camel's got a couple hundred pounds of incense and a couple hundred pounds of myrrh. Now, probably wasn't quite that much somewhere, but it is a great. And if you'll notice, the very next thing after verse 12, after the Magi leave, God, an angel warns Joseph in a dream uh, to get out of town, go to Egypt. They're trying to kill this child. Okay, and here the Magi has just dropped a pretty good chunk of traveling change in their hands. Okay, and uh, kind of like old Leroy Jethro Gibbs on NCIS, don't believe in, co in uh, coincidences. <laughs> okay, so uh, next slide, I think that's pretty much it. The unexpected, Jesus was the unexpected. The thing, the saying I like most about the wise men that I've seen is wise men still seek him today. And if you're looking, realize that something's missing in your life. You're looking for something. Uh, you realize we've just gone through a bad year. There's no promise that 2021 is going to be better, folks. Yeah, it could be good. This vaccine's going to work. The virus is going to be a bad memory. We're going to get this police brutality thing figured out. We're going to get this racism figured out. We're all going to start coming together. The market's going to go up. We're all going back to work. Businesses are going to thrive, maybe. 2020 may have just been a sampling of what's going to happen in 2021. We don't know. But what we do know is if we have Jesus in our lives, it doesn't matter how it turns out. It doesn't matter. And so uh, let's go to the next slide, if you would, please. Oh, one more. There we go. If you, okay, for those of you listening at home, we have this number you can text. Uh, if you like, you could just do it the old-fashioned way and pick up the phone and call the office. Someone will answer. We won't send you to India. Any way we can help you. We are ready to be here to help you to, uh, in your journey and your quest with Jesus. Thank you very much, Randy.